Welcome to the Bailey, where our open bar is run by Planned Parenthood. I'm your host, Interversity Masood Jr. As life goes, so goes the Bailey. So, this week we've had a coup. Uh, our daddy is away, but uh, daddy will be back if he behaves. All right, so let's all introduce ourselves. Today we have Kulak Revolt. Eight. We have Liminal Warmth. Hi, thanks for having me. We have McMuster. Hi, how's it going? And we have Unsang. Howdy, y'all. All right, so today we are discussing vaccines, uh, how, how much social pressure should be applied to people uh, to get vaccines, whether there should be government services or uh, social services that should be restricted if you don't get a certain vaccine, and uh, generally the ethics of forcing or not forcing or incentivizing vaccines for the general public. So we'll, we'll, so let's all start with our position statements. Kulak, let's go first. So my position statement best summarized by um, Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, uh, to quote directly from the film, I remember when I was in special forces, seems a thousand centuries ago, we went into a camp to inoculate some children. We left the camp after we had inoculated the children for polio, and this old man came running after us, and he was crying. He couldn't see. We went back there, and they had come and hacked off every inoculated arm. There was, there they were in a pile, a pile of little arms, skipping ahead. And I thought, my God, the genius of that, the genius, the will to do that, perfect, genuine, complete, crystalline, pure. And then I realized that they were stronger than we. Well, I do not endorse the forced amputation of, of vaccinated or inoculated people. It does summarize this, the stakes involved. Control over, over bodies and people's medic, medical status is the ultimate control. And functionally, the Viet Cong were tactically and politically correct when they did stuff like hacking off inoculated limbs because that is how that is the amount of stakes involved with medical control of people the biopower involved to ape Foucault and to not mention that term again the the raw stakes and the raw political power you seed when you give the state or anyone medical control over someone else is totalitarian All right. Thank you, Kulak Revolt. Next up, we have Liminal Warmth. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Um, I guess I would say that I am spiritually in sync with Kulak on this one. Um, I think that my position is very pro-vaccine in general. Um, I believe they're effective. I believe they're safe. Uh, but I'm also an extremely strong proponent of bodily autonomy, freedom, um, non-coercive uh, incentives to encourage people to um, take vaccines. And I just, the, the idea that we would advocate for or support the government in 
Even coercively applying vaccines makes me very uncomfortable. And then certainly once we stray into the territory where we're physically arresting people or forcing them to be vaccinated makes me very, very uncomfortable because it makes me feel like we're sacrificing our long-term freedoms for short-term gain. And I don't think it's worth the cost. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Next up, we have McMuster. Go ahead. Hi. Yeah. Uh, hello. I'm horrified. Uh, I, I guess I'll be playing the normie in the room. Uh, vaccination is largely where I get off the libertarian train and onto the uh, status train because it's to me it is just a unavailed public health good. And I see we're probably going to be boiling down this conversation to whether or not public health is good. Uh, it is, or if it is good to enforce it. But by and large, I view it as about as important for the state to ensure that like kids going to school incubating together are vaccinated as it is to keep the water clean. So I view the state interventions in a similar manner. Uh, to basically boil it down to a real-world policy goal, yeah, I think your kids should have the shots if they're going to be going to public schools. All right, thank you. And finally, we have Unsaying. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Unsaying. Uh, my position is that, um, as far as I can tell, having done a lot of research because I have several very anti-vax family members, uh, as far as I can tell, vaccines are broadly safe and effective, and as McMuster said, an unmitigated good. However, um, because I have been empathetic toward these family members and trying to understand their positions, I see something very dark lurking in the current debate and in the way that, uh, I guess I'd say pro-vax people in general seem to treat it. It It is so clearly to me one of these things where it's the excuse people have been waiting for to deny others their, their own um, agency, their own sovereignty over themselves. And I'm very concerned because there are so many excellent arguments to be made for mandatory vaccination, especially depending on hypothetical pandemics and so on. But I also know from history and uh, just from what I've seen in human nature that once the government has an excuse to deny people those those rights, that dignity, they will abuse it back and forth forever. Um, once that door is opened, there's no shutting it. And I, I think um, we need to be very, very wary. That's it for now. Awesome. All right. For my own position, I would say that I agree pretty much 100% with what liminal warmth uh, says, and which is basically vaccinations are great. I think the vast majority of people should get them. Uh, I have never found many any of the arguments for philosophical or religious objections to be very compelling. Uh, and I think the reason we have gone down this path of kind of requiring vaccinations and taking away certain privileges or rights as, as one sees it, uh, is because the moral horror that we see of children who suffer diseases that we can treat easily, uh, or prevent easily with modern medicine is just not something that most people can stomach or not something that most people are willing to 
to tolerate in uh, a society as rich and developed as ours. And so I, as I'm also very uncomfortable with forcing people to get vaccinated. Uh, if we ever got to the point of actually physically forcing people, you know, going to their homes or arresting them, uh, I think I would be kicking and screaming against that. But I am okay with restricting sort of uh, optional public health services or not public health services, but things like uh, kids sports or public schools uh, for people who are not vaccinated. All right. Uh, so everyone's given their position statements. Does anyone have uh, burning thoughts right off the bat? Yeah, I'd like Kulak to explain that quote better. Why, why is it good to chop off the little Vietnamese children's arms? Yeah, Kulak, could you Kulak, could you explain uh, what what your quote was from and uh, give a little context and explanation about it? So that was a quote from Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, Vietnam War film for the three people who haven't seen that that movie, and the the fundamental. The conflict within in Vietnam, specifically the inoc- inoculation thing, was was that the Vietnamese to prevent the Americans from having medical control over the population and to prevent the population from accepting Amer- American authority, they they hacked off the inoculated limbs. Now, fun- fundamentally, if they did not do that, and if if America was just able able to perform medical procedures on the the Vietnamese population, they would have surrendered control of the, control of the country and the entire countryside. So, thus, the necessity of that. The point of it being to emphasize how much sovereignty sovereignty and ownership over a population is t- is tied up in medical procedures the the ability to govern govern a country country is intimately tied up with that and the ability to be self-governing or to be a self-owning individual is necessarily tied up with your ability to make your own medical decisions once once america is performing mass public health campaigns in southern Vietnam, it's done. They've won the, the war. Similarly, once America is controlling the medical decisions of its own population, once it's making those decisions for the population, the entire idea of the self-owning independent citizen is is done. You become cattle. McMuster, your thoughts? So it's not so much that the Vietnamese actually thought there was something harmful to their people's children in the vaccine itself. It was more that if they were to, if the they were to be vaccinated, it ought to be done by them. Is that sort of where you're coming from, or uh, exactly that is sufficient? They may. It's very possible the North Vietnamese or the um, Viet Cong did have conspiracy theories about what kind of medical procedures the Americans were performing. This was around the same time as the Tuskegee syphilis experiments were happening in the U.S. and 
countless experiments were happening in the USSR and other communist countries. It perfectly conceivable that the U.S. would perform unethical like medical experiments under the guise of inoculation. And I believe they did so in some third world countries. That's been, at least a few cases have been fairly well documented, but it isn't, it wouldn't have been necessary to presume that to, to see the strategic logic of the Viet Cong there and why it was from their perspective necessary to do that. The conflict between, between states over a population is a conflict for control of the bodies of that population. And similarly, the conflict between an individual and their rights and the states is a conflict fundamentally for control of the individual's body. So just to be clear, are you only arguing against mandatory vaccination? Um, I'd take it a bit further that if mandatory vaccination was implemented, it would become necessary to to resist vac- vaccination, to refuse to receive them, to at minimum hold those who did get vaccinated in intense contempt, fire them from jobs, shun them, shun them, maybe slash their tires, that kind of thing, kind of thing. And just as soon as the state asserts, asserts medical authority over you, it becomes necessary to do anything to resist that and to reassert medical autonomy. All right. What about uh, like dragnet uh, public health campaigns? Just like to go out and get vaccinated, free vaccination stands, things like that, making making it clear that this is a moral good and you're doing a duty to society by getting vaccinated. Uh, and also maybe some light shaming of people who don't sign up and go for it themselves. What about like something like that? I'm trying to like diagnose like your your limits and what principles you're truly operating on here. I mean, those I'd still I'd still roll my eye be- eyes because they're funded with tax dollars and fundamentally same same old libertarian objections. But I wouldn't be like uniquely horrified by that relative to the state doing anything anything else. All right, so you're not gonna fuck it. So you're not gonna roll up on your post-apocalyptic chopper and drag the kids off the street and take their arms off. Uh, no, one, one could argue that, that the implicit threat of lockdowns have made the vaccine conversation violent to the extent that, oh, you aren't vaccinated enough, so we're going to suspend your fundamental individual liberties collectively, collectively, and that's, that's horrifying, but I don't see any reason you'd, you'd target the vaccine campaign unless they start explicitly saying, oh, we didn't hit vaccine targets, ergo, ergo freedom of assembly is is suspended another three months and like being very explicit about it. Um, but at the point where it's individual vi- violence and targeted campaigns, campaigns of tyranny to against people who object to vaccinations or or say the vaccine passport system that they're proposing in the e- EU where you have to be certified Im- immune to have your fundamental human rights to travel returned to you. Um, I fully endorse the rioting that's been happening in 
Denmark and the Netherlands against vaccine passports. I think that there's an interesting point he brought up there, which is that I think that the lockdowns and the changes to our day-to-day lives have really exacerbated this conversation to the point where I don't think that we would be having the same conversation absent sort of the dramatic changes to our daily lives. Like, I have a very hard time imagining anyone arguing for forcible vaccination, even heavily coercive vaccination, in January of last year. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So you think there's sort of an escalation, sort of, in the conversation? I think there's absolutely an escalation in the conversation. I think people are also just so desperate to get back to a normal way of life that um, we're seeing some proposals for more extreme measures than I think we would have tolerated at other times. And I am not sure that those are well-considered proposals, And I think that the intensity of the times and the ways of life that we're kind of being forced into right now are perhaps making people more open to extreme measures than they would have been. And the last time I remember something like this happening was right in the wake of 9-11. And you may note that we are still 20 years later dealing with flying restrictions that didn't exist before 2001 and don't really make us all that much safer. And I see, yeah, that's a, I, I see something very analogous here. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point with uh, comparing it to 9-11, how we now have a, a cultural understanding of, oh, this is what it was like pre-9-11, and this is what it was like post-9-11. And everyone understands kind of what you mean in terms of the the intensity of policing and of surveillance of, of different spaces, of airports, of how free you could be, um, you know, moving around in different types of transit, uh, and how it fundamentally, I mean, just fundamentally changed everything. So you can just say the phrase pre nine 11 and it means something. And I suspect pre COVID and post COVID is going to mean, you know, a similar, it's going to be a similar kind of change. And especially with all the, I don't know about masks. I think we're going to lose masks, uh, but not, uh, all the kind of distancing the plastic shields and everything, but getting too into the weeds there. Um, I will say that these debates were happening before COVID. I, uh, I definitely knew people who would say things like, oh, there needs to be mandatory vaccination and parent anti-vaxxers should have their children take taken away, that sort of thing. But it definitely has been something where where the extreme anti-vaxxers and the extreme forcible vax- vaxxers went from like fringe positions of like like hyper online weirdos to kind of the default positions of everyone whether you think that's the the reality of the situation kind of forcing everyone to become the weak man of their sides or whether you think that no that was always there it's just now everyone's gone to the logical conclusion Locking everyone inside for a year plus has drove them all stupid is kind of what you're suggesting there? Well, it's either driven them all stupid or it's driven them all sane. Like I said, it might be the logical conclusion of both sides. And I, I'd argue it kind of is. Not the anti-vax conspiracy theories necessarily, but the extreme kind of 
kind of attribution of malice to the other side. Like, that is what is logically implied by most of the arguments in most of our value system. The extreme kind of conservative libertarian fusionism must inevitably default to, no, you own your own bodies, and if someone's trying to, to like, change that, trying to, like, forcibly alter your body, then that's, you know, they they may not actively have have planned to poison you with the vaccine, but but it's morally equivalent. And similarly, the pro-vax side of, no, this is child abuse. What you do, you remove people, you remove children from the child abuser. Like, that's the logical conclusion of those arguments. It's just, you know, over a year, okay. we've had to hold go on, to the logical on. conclusion. All right, hold on a second. Yeah, hold on, hold on. So I want to get right onto one of those points, which is you said basically that uh, there's extreme positions on vaccination, which I take to mean, you know, the position of mandatory vaccination and the position of complete autonomy, uh, you know, choice of whatever you want. If that's no vaccines or if you want vaccines, that's fine uh, as becoming substantially more common and or the only positions that seems totally off base to me especially i mean not 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 only at a so not only at a public level but also at the political level i don't see that um i this might be part of me just knowing a lot of people who are vaguely sjw aligned and a lot of people who are vaguely kind of conspiracy aligned but but from what i've seen both camps are are really defaulting to either to either Chief Inquisitor or Alex Jones. Okay, but like, how large are these camps? Well, hang on it it feels a little bit like we're maybe blurring a couple of things here too, because I, I think there's there's kind of two cross factors here, right? On the one hand, we're talking about covid vaccines specifically right because i think that's the focus of a lot of the conversation right now and then we also have vaccines in general like the the childhood vaccines you might get against polio or whatever and i also think there might be a qualitative difference between requiring children to get long established vaccines and adults to get a very new covid vaccine and, you know, I, I'm, I haven't deeply considered this, but I might have different intuitions and opinions about coercive measures taken along each of those two sections of the two-by-two two grid. Yeah, I'd like to echo that and actually make a suggestion, which is that, um, you know, we have a general philosophy on this podcast of not uh, trying to make shows about specific current events. And I think a lot of the ingredients here are getting lost in the current social moment of, you know, decline in institutional trust, decline in respect for our fellow uh, countrymen and any beliefs they may have if they happen to disagree with us. So I want to suggest that maybe we try to talk about this primarily in terms of the world pre-COVID. We could still refer to COVID, what's going on, for examples and illustrations, but um, a lot of what's going on here was going on before COVID. And I think if we could isolate it down to that, we might have a cleaner conversation. Um, I... I'd be opposed to that just because the COVID vaccination, like the politics around it is like, 
very uniquely different from pre-COVID vaccine debates. So, for example, the pre-COVID vaccine debate was, as Lumel said, focus on children and specifically vaccinations for for very for diseases that targeted children and were very has, hazardous to children specifically. And the the stick to make you get your ch- child vaccinated was you can't access p- public education. So there was always the opt out of all right, you can go to your parochial schools, your your church schools, or you can homeschool. And fundamentally, children are property of the are the property of the parents, or some combination of the par- parent and state. So the invasion on on rights was always an invasion on the right rights of the parent, however they perceived it. And there was always the opt out there of like, okay, just don't ex- access this. Um, government-provided resource. COVID is unique in that, A, it's the entire population. The rights being being denied are fundamental constitutional rights, and the, and the stick being applied isn't, isn't, oh, get, you have to get these vaccines if you want to access these government spaces. It's you have to get these vaccines to access public spaces or and and even like your friend's house house there's been some talk of of not allowing gathering gathering even, even your uh, your girlfriend's house yeah we've seen that um well I, i'd like to share a model i have for this or, or sort of a perspective which is that there were these underlying issues to begin with and I on the subject of parochial schools it's a topic that's very interesting to me and even before covid I mean here in California we were seeing the screws being tight screws being tightened on those schools uh, making it more and more and more difficult for anyone to operate without full mandatory vaccination um, no matter how private or informal you wanted to make the school anything that could conceivably be called a school was getting pressure put on it but the model I have is, of uh, fire under a pot and that pot getting hotter and hotter and boiling, where I think um, what COVID has done is raise the temperature. It has made a lot of these points more salient, more immediate. As you said, it has changed the focus from just kids to everybody. You hear the word grandma thrown around a lot. I guess grandpa doesn't matter. I never heard him brought up. But uh, what I'd like to do is put to the group a hypothetical, which is, is there a is there a potential pandemic out there, not COVID, but something potentially much worse, at which point you would see the the wisdom or the necessity of mandatory vaccinations of, of you know, federal troops going house to house and saying, no, you are going to get this. Um, is that a line that you, we could potentially reach? Yeah, uh, yeah, I 100% would. Uh, Ebola with COVID transmission? Yes, please. Okay, hold on, hold on. So... McMuster, you say yes. Why? Uh, sim- simple cost-benefit at that point. Like, uh, allowing at a certain level of lethality, say, Ebola-level lethality, with a certain level of transmissibility, say, COVID-level transmissibility, or super-COVID-level transmissibility, just to be safe, say, common cold-level transmissibility, how much uh, it transmits. At that point, yeah, I would pretty much be on board with the National Guard going door-to-door and sticking needles in people's arms. 
simply because of the loss of life on the on the table. Okay, so it's a it's a combination. So it's it's kind of a risk calculation you're making with the combination of the the lethality and the infectivity. Okay, all right, and liminal warmth. You say no. Why? Uh, there is <clears throat> there is no public health risk that. I can imagine that would persuade me that having uniformed U.S. soldiers going door to door, forcibly injecting people with something, is a precedent that I would want to have set for myself, or my family, or my family's children. <clears throat> um, the in an event that something was so lethal and so easily transmissible. That we would even be considering this. I think that the benefit of getting the vaccine would be so self-evident that you wouldn't need to do that. I think you could easily set up, um, you know, centralized locations to administer the vaccine, encourage people to come for their own safety. I think public fear would drive people toward those things. Once vaccinated, they would be protected from it, and people who, for whatever reason, didn't want to do it. I mean, they're taking the risks that they're taking, and um, I think that very quickly they would, you know, either die or not as a result of it. But I still think that their autonomy is important here and the precedent is important here. And additionally, you know, I understand the arguments about herd immunity and, um, you know, compromised individuals who can't get the vaccine. But at the same time, in the kind of scenario, scenario you're talking about, I think such a large percentage of the population would go and get the vaccine out of both fear and just a, you know, a sense of, uh, if, if not fear, then a sense of moral obligation, given the risk of it, um, that the people who opted not to would be a non-issue, and then we wouldn't establish such draconian precedent like that. Well... Uh, if anything that's been kind of demonstrated to me over the last, what is it, 10 months now, is how hard culture war and toxoplasma and all of those other forces just ruin everything good. I, I can 100% see a scenario where hemorrhagic rhinovirus is spreading like wildfire through a population. And due to petty culture war bullshit, a large portion of the population is not willing to get vaccinated. Yeah, but the, but at that point, you'd be assuming that we'd also have the FDA block everything for a year, and then it wouldn't it wouldn't even be a question because of the time it by the time it's out, like the immunity benefits of vaccination are probably probably lost at a group level, and it just becomes. You know the individual choice of if you want to suffer, suffer, risk these consequences, or if you want to risk whatever you think the consequences of the vaccine might be. Yeah. Also, Lim, I suppose you can. I suppose I will concede slightly in that I can roll uh, a failure mode of your assumption of better nature and rationality onto people into my assumption, into my debt, into my uh, danger scenario where I would go for the national guard vaccinating people. If people aren't, like, that's kind of strikes me as a why worry about something that's not going to happen sort of argument. Like, if people, like, yeah, hopefully it works out that way and people's better angels drive them to go ahead and do the self-interested thing and get themselves vaccinated. 
failing that, yeah, I would call upon uh, the men with the rifles and the camouflage and the boots. I, I'd say at that point, I'd in, I'd fully endorse the Viet Cong hack off the inoculated arms, arms methods, because the amount of like authoritarian control that's being being exerted at the pop on every single person that person from the population level to the individual level warrants resistance that extreme all right kulak well you think that the that that's warranted when there's any government anywhere so you know uh liminal liminal warmth please please go ahead yeah i two things first is that i don't think it actually requires people's people to you know develop or adopt a rationality mode in this scenario I think with the level of lethality that you're describing, we would see such imminent and widespread and catastrophic death that the panic itself would drive people toward the vaccine. While we do see, um, you know, widespread death with COVID, it's not as immediate or as personal often as the situation that you're describing. And so I think there would be a much stronger impetus to get people to want the vaccine or the cure, however it was marketed, immediately. <clears throat> the other uh, point I want to make is that I will amend my prior position, which is that if the nature of the illness was such that it took four to six weeks, for example, to develop and then people drop dead such that we were aware of the nature of the of the disease and we knew that it was delayed we knew that it would spread like wildfire all of that was very clear to the medical establishment which by the way covid has not been that clear to the medical establishment at any point you know in in this in this last year it's taken us time to get information about it and we've you know had facts thrown around back and forth facts flipped for the first 6 months but if we were in a situation where things were that clear I might be willing to amend my statement and say, okay, like in this scenario, public health demands it because this is going to spread and kill people faster than we can persuade people that it is actually that lethal. And that would be an emergency scenario. However, however, I, you know, I, I just can't imagine a soldier showing up at my door and telling me that he's going to inject me with whatever's in his needle whether I like it or not, and to have me not react by drawing my 9mm and saying, come on in, if you want to, I will shoot you. So. Okay, that is pretty based, I'm not going to lie. However, uh, I, I also like want to touch on just what you describe as almost a mirror image of COVID. Uh, there's kind of a social context around COVID where it's slightly oversold in its perception. And that it is treated as the uh, the end times bringing disease, while primarily sending people out the door who are already largely on the way out in the demographics that it's targeting uh, at a lethal level, anyways. Uh, another failure mode of your thinking of that scenario is that the you have a mirror image where it's all of the goodwill uh, of the World Health Organization and other educated, knowing bodies is burnt on a scenario like COVID and in that the hemorrhagic rhinovirus that comes around the corner is treated in the opposite manner. 
and that it is played down and its public perception is way, way, way down in contrast to its true nature, which is concerned, which would be a, a realistic, uh, a realistic scenario where the failing of people's better natures is something that I could see happening. But uh, like in all in all seriousness, I hope people work the way you say they do, Lim. And I'm pretty sure they would in pretty much every scenario. But in the event that they don't, that would concern me greatly, and would make me more comfortable with the boot approach. Now you're trying to say something and say, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a lot of what scares me about this topic is that it is a perfect wedge issue. We, we have this general, and I, I think most people would subscribe to the idea that um, you have your right to swing your fist and that right ends where my nose begins. We have this concept that as long as it's not hurting someone else, you can do what you want, but not hurting someone else is doing a lot of work. And it's a very slippery slope, as, as we've seen in cases like um, people arguing that uh, you know fat people, for example, should be you know, denied whatever until they get into shape. Um, yeah, it's a French position, but it, it follows naturally uh, because I should, sorry, I should back up. The The, the case there is that uh, because w in the event of a national health care system, people's choices as to what to eat hurt others or smokers is another one because we all end up paying for their health problems. Um, and, and I don't, I don't see that there's a big distinction there. Whereas especially today when it comes to vaccines and even before COVID, when it came to vaccines, you were mentioned earlier, McMuster, you'd be okay with some light shaming, but light shaming is not what happens. What happens is this total dehumanization. I can't believe what an idiot you are on both sides. And uh, I mean, I, I would say take, for example, all these cases we've seen of someone who, you know, quote unquote, didn't believe in COVID and then died from it. And look at the way people act about that. I don't even know what the n name for that that emotion would be, but it's like this, this dark, awful joy, this glee, look at him. He got what he deserved. I mean, that's everywhere. Yeah. I've witnessed that. It's called schadenfreude. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the reason I say there's something dark lurking here is because it, it genuinely gives people the excuse to dehumanize and, and strip away even the, the underlying faith in human agency that is necessary for a free society, for a democracy. When you're looking at all these people that believe differently and saying, wow, they're that dumb. They're that incapable of making good choices. We know better. And very often the people saying those things don't know better. They, they believe the high status belief, but they haven't done their research. They don't know. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting while I was doing research on the anti-vax community, because again, I've been looking into this for years and I'm very familiar with it, is anti-vaxxers by and large have done vastly more work trying to find out how vaccines work, what's going on. It's a bit like how atheists tend to be more familiar with the Bible than people that were raised in the church. Um, you know, yeah, they come to the wrong conclusions because how on earth are, is the average person going to make the right choice? But the, the emotional phenomenon going on is very dark, very scary. I think it lends itself to abuse and, um, we need to be on guard about it. I think that's a, a fair point on saying, uh, although I would be, I think I would be more moderate in how I, or at least in my perception of that, which is that most people are not, you know, frothing at the mouth on, on either side, uh, from what I've seen or whatever, what I've experienced for, you know, pro vaccine or anti vaccine. And yes, I, I have seen, you know, what you say online, uh, obviously 
social media comments, Facebook comments, that kind of thing tend to bring out uh, the worst in people. And you see, you know, a kind of a, a selection bias of just the worst and most upvoted um, opinions that fit in with people's emotions. But also, so I think kind of what you're making a case for is more compassion, if I hear you correctly. Yeah, I mean, the compassion is important, but it's it's going to happen or it's not. I'm just saying that it's, in terms of our mental models, there's something to be on guard against here. The The building up of this consensus that people who don't toe the line and don't do what they're told are not deserving of participation in free society is, I mean, you can see how that can so easily transform into other things and how it could be the shape of things to come in all, many domains. So you're, 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 so you're saying that... Uh, mandatory vaccinations are the door to, rather than the boot stamping on the face forever, it's the door to uh, the yuppie glaring at you for not wearing your mask forever. But it won't be that. It'll be, you know, we, we saw even with grocery stores, there, COVID is mild enough, and I think everyone deep down knew that COVID was mild enough, even the people who were hysterical about it, that we didn't see um, serious proposals to limit people from you know, using basic stuff like going to the grocery store uh, or, or doing other things for the most part, um, unless they, you know, did all the things they were supposed to. But I think that's where it would go if there were a, a worse a worse pandemic. I mean, say triple COVID. And what I was trying to get at before with my, my turning up the heat analogy or my turning up the heat metaphor is that um, I think most of us have a a temperature at which we would say, okay, this may actually be warranted to some degree. Um, and, you know, it's just a question of where it is. Where, where is, uh, where would that temperature be for you? You know, it's one of those things I, where the more I've learned about it, the less of an opinion I have. Um, I, I'm very conservative about it just because I, I think history has really shown us you need to err on the side of the government being abusive and people being hysterical. And uh, Dan Carlin had, to, to, to circle back to the 9-11 um, metaphor, Dan Carlin had this wonderful idea that, uh, you know, anytime there's a big national scare event, if you will, you know, like a terrorist attack or maybe a pandemic, we need to have almost a pre-existing uh, mechanism in the law saying, okay, you can take temporary measures up to, you know, maybe 100 days. But after that, they collapse, and then you cannot pass any more regulations based on this until we've had, you know, X amount of time to cool down, six months, a year, because there's going to be so much pressure on politicians and even people uh, signaling in their social groups to go absolutely hog wild with the extreme um, proposals and, and uh, actions that, I mean, look, human beings, we all know this, we, we panic, we go nuts, we, we literally become less sane and less capable of making good decisions in the precise moments that we need to be sane and capable of making good decisions. Was that a motorcycle going by? Yeah, I hate that guy. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of bike was it? A loud one. I've never seen it, but believe me, I know know his schedule. (laughs) Okay, um... What was Kulak's position on that prompt, by the way? Did you actually give one? Is there a line for you, Kulak? So you would be in the, favor of it? Probably no. Like, 
Like, they're... Like, I can imagine, like, ship's captains where everyone has signed up to be under this authority or not, but broadly, I'd say you're responsible for yourself. You're you're the sovereign of your own life. You know, if you're making bad decisions that get yourself killed, those are your decisions. You should be, be living that life. The interesting... Kind of the interesting thing and the reason why um, your prompt, McMuster, about the um, deadliest possible virus that's spreading like crazy, the reason that doesn't concern me too much is, in your scenario, the incentive to get the vaccine is one-to-one tied with how seriously you need to get it. If you don't get the the vaccine for um, airborne Ebola. Ebola, you're risking airborne Ebola, airborne Ebola, and probably not going to have a good time. Your own survival instincts. People aren't aren't very rational. Aren't very good at coordinating with each other in times of crisis. But they are pretty good at desperately doing the thing they need to do to survive. And I wouldn't expect there. I wouldn't expect you to have to go door to door to vaccinate people to keep to give them the thing that's going to keep them alive. The interesting thing about COVID particularly has been how redistributionist it's been or how unequal it's been that specifically targets targets the elder, elderly. And especially in the case of the vaccine, there's almost certainly an age threshold at which, at which the, the, Trauma, if you're afraid of afraid of needles, loss of autonomy, and potentially the the complications and side effects. About zero point five percent of cases have have some side effects, and there any vaccination or procedure, there's risk risk of infection. Vaccination is extremely low, like maybe one in ten thousand, but there is almost certainly an age threshold where the odds that COVID is going to kill you versus the odds that the nurse is going to fuck up and give you a life-threatening infection. There is almost certainly a point at which which it, it inverses. So, so the COVID vaccine in particular it has this massive redistribution this side of it where mandating it on the population or forcing people to get it is in effect negatively impacting certain demographics of the population to benefit older aspects of the population, which... Kulak. Nobody has been forced to get it. Under the hypothetical. Hypothetical. The lockdowns would be comparable, where it's incredibly redistributive, and the lockdowns have been forcible, where, where the people who are isolating in their house... Some of them, it does make sense for them to isolate. It is very dangerous, but a larger portion of it, they're just giving up large percentages, a, a massive amount of their quality of life for someone else's I'll have else's you know sake. that I'm recording wearing a mask right now, and I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the same way, lockdowns are essentially this massive redistribution of quality of life from younger people to older older people in terms in terms of 
of young people not being able to live their lives so to extend the elderly's life's lifespan. Similarly, vaccines have the same effect where a lot of young people, for a lot of young people, it would just be be a bad cold if if that, and they probably wouldn't get a vac- vaccine for a bad cold. For, whereas, so all the benefit, the majority of the benefit for them getting vaccinated is actually being collected by other people and ma- mandating that redistribution of qualia is has its own ethical implications, especially if depending on your opinions of the generations in question. All right, I think we have gone on long enough <laughs> with that. Uh, I feel like we should get back to a more like on the ground kind of topic, like something uh, something like sports teams for you know adolescents or kids, something like that, where we might actually have some uh, sort of practical points of disagreement. I suppose something more grounded that I can kind of bring up here is that I'm presuming that everyone here kind of already understands this aspect of infectious diseases, but it should also be touched on for the people listening as well, is that someone who's infected with the disease isn't also, isn't merely endangering themselves. They're also acting as a node in the spread of that infectious disease, that pathogen. Uh, It, they don't necessarily, the pathogen doesn't want to kill you. The pathogen just wants to get into the future, and it's using you as a vehicle to do so. Uh, oftentimes, the pathogen can use you as a vehicle for, uh, to get into the future without causing any illness. Uh, you can actually be carrying a disease and without presenting any symptoms, without even suffering at all. Uh, oftentimes, you're not necessarily as likely to spread it, if that's the case. But even so, vaccination is to just as much to eliminate you as a node in the infective infective web as it is to prevent you from getting ill when you catch the disease proper. Uh, that's more of a side note, but I'm wondering if anyone has any real, like disagreement with that or if that even changes your perception of vaccination. Because it's not just a sim- simple personal risk assessment. It also factors into the what good are you doing to the people around you. I know externalities are a big thing for libertarians and the like. So I wonder how that squares with you, Lim, and Kulak specifically. Yeah, I was aware of that, and I don't think it changes anything about what I've said thus far. Um, I think the degree to which we should enforce people to get a vaccine because they might be a node um, is still very low. I mean, there's all kinds of illnesses that you can act as a node for. Like, it would have to be a pretty lethal, pretty emergency situation for me to support coercive measures there. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't think it changes anything I've said. Okay. Uh, hold on one sec. We're going to have Kulak <clears throat> and then Unsaying as a point right after that. So go ahead, Kulak. Uh at the point where you have a vaccine and people are making choices, yes, do I want to receive the vaccine? No, do I want to take my chances with the virus? At the point where where someone else is receiving the virus from you and that's making them sick, they made the same choice that you made to take their chances with with the virus. Like it, like at the point where where it's adversely 
adversely affecting, you know, people who aren't make, making a choice. You can kind of make an argument. There are some people who just can't receive vaccines or are immunocompromised, but then it gets into the, okay, who's, who's responsible for bearing the cost of your pre-existing health problems? And the answer is usually you. Okay. Uh, Unsaying, you had a point? Yeah, Kulak kind of circled back around to it a little bit there, but I wanted to echo McMuster. Uh, I've, I've had a friend, and unfortunately I'm using the past tense here, but I had a friend who, due to purely genetic reasons, um, was not able to get vaccines of, I believe, any kind. I'm not sure what the specifics were, but that guy had to live in fear, and it wasn't a choice he made. There was nothing he could have done about it. He was terrified living where I do because we have so many anti-vax mommies around here. And you literally have to avoid areas with children because he knew that maybe 10% of those are not vaccinated against something that would kill him if he if he contracted it. And um, unfortunately, he ended up dying at like, I want to say age 23, uh, waiting for an organ transplant. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a matter of him catching something, but that's because he had to live his life in fear. And obviously, no, society can't bend over backwards for every tiny subclass minority group with some weird problem. It is obviously a question of trade-offs, but I really don't like the language about, oh, they made their choice, because you know what? A lot of people don't. I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that the, the framing there is probably non-optimal, um, but at the same time, I totally agree with what you just said on saying, which is that uh, we can't accommodate every single possible edge case. Like, everyone has unique aspects of them and situations that they deal with that are unfortunate and just part of the unlucky dice that they've, that they've rolled in terms of fate. And, you know, you're, you're very fortunate if you don't have something like that in some aspect of, of your life. And I think picking one particular issue and elevating it and, um, I, I think we have to carefully consider the long-term and societal impacts of any decision we make, and it can't be an emotionally motivated argument in favor of one particular group at any one particular time. How how do you score? This is a small point, but how do you square that with the uh, much greater effectiveness of arguments that utilize uh, one person or a few people to make an emotional point? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. How do I square that with the fact that you can use one person to make an emotional argument? Well, kind of if you, if the arguments hmm. shouldn't be made, you know, on emotions uh, basis, then are, are we trying to convince people just with statistics? You know, like, are we, is, are, what do you see as the, the um, solution, so to speak, or the fix to people not getting vaccinated uh, because it doesn't, I'm not sure that the, you know, hit them with the vex with the statistics and the studies and tell them how wrong they are has, has worked out so far. No, so I'm just trying to probe that a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And there's two different things there, right? There's how do we select a strategy or a policy that, uh, produces the society in which we want to live, given our aims and values. And then how do we go about effecting that strategy in the, um, in the most effective way? And I think that for the former, we have to be extremely thoughtful and extremely calculating. 
and, uh, you know, really take the time to weigh out the possibilities. And once we have a model that, you know, we, we believe is correct and appropriate, then I think we need to use the appropriate uh, connective and appropriate discourse tools to persuade whatever audience that we're trying to persuade to come around to our, our way of thinking. And that may include emotional appeals in many cases. In fact, it absolutely does most of the time. Okay, gotcha. I'd I'd simply add that it's that we may that the logic of liberty and rights is based around kind of the average the average person, and that kind of people who have either disabilities or or um, immuno disabilities are traditionally and usually expected to kind of assume assume the cost of that we don't we could but we d- don't go out of our way to say oh the kid born with without arms we're going to tax ev- everyone to bring him up to the level of the exact same kid with with arms it's okay that sucks we're going to help you meet some some minimum minimums where we can but broadly you yeah. That's your body, and you're assume going to assume a lot of, lot of the cost of that. It sucks, but that's part of self self ownership. So, so to take your friend and saying if he and a bunch bunch of similar situated people want to move to the village of the immunocompromised and say exclude anyone who didn't have fully documented vaccin- vaccination papers. Hunt power to them; they should be able to form that that municipality. But to the extent they decide, you know what, we're going to take. We'd rather not. We'd rather live life on the outside, take risks. That's that rolls with anyone. Either otherwise, you get into weird John Rawls, John Rawlsian. Um, what's what's the term? Um, Social utility conquer. monsters, monsters huh. where. Where you have have to suspend the entire first first amendment because if anyone hears the word haberdashery, if one individual hears the word haberdashery, they're going to fly into a suicidal rage. Or you have to sp- suspend freedom to travel because if any anyone gets within a hundred kilometers of another person, you know that person's going to have a psychotic break. Can we better explain a? Can anyone better explain a utility monster? Can I make a quick point real quick? Yeah, go ahead, Unsang. So, so Kulak, I do understand everything you just said, and I, I do broadly agree. And I, I don't want to trot the uh, corpse of my friend out any more than I already have here, but in his case, it, it would not have been possible to move somewhere else because he required regular medical care at major facilities. In fact, he had to live in the Bay Area because Stanford was the only place capable of keeping him alive, hopefully long enough to get that organ transplant that never came through. Um, but still, your your general point is well taken, and I think entirely accurate. You you can't you can't build society around every weird edge case. It just doesn't work. Which is, and that's you know, I agree with that as well, and it's a point well taken. But there's also something to be said of a difference between the uh, you know talking about 
someone who has no arms and we all get, you know, taxed or whatever to give them a better life. Well, we do have things, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act in the United States uh, that literally are taking, in effect, reducing the rest of our quality of life by taking resources that could have been spent elsewhere and spending them to help people with disabilities. But uh, what doesn't get acknowledged often enough and what I think was missing is that uh, designing for people with disabilities is a way to implement universal design and universal design is better for everyone. So I see it as the same thing with vaccines. You know, it's uh, there's these people that are immunocompromised. There's people that are too young or too old or have this or that issue that prevents them from taking the vaccine themselves. Well, you know, it's not just that we're taking money away from you to help them. So it's a pure loss to you. You are also getting vaccinated. You are also, you know, you are not going to suffer the effects of that disease uh, that you might otherwise, if you were not vaccinated, as we see happening now with the resurgence of, of measles and, and rubella and all these other things, uh, in various places where, where people aren't getting vaccinated. So it's not like this isn't just you sacrificing for the greater good. It's, it's also a benefit to you. I think that is true when it's true and it is not self-evident that that's always true in in all cases and i i think that's an important distinction there um you know you brought up the point about designing for people with uh disabilities being universal design and in some cases that's true and i think in some cases that's that's not and i think that's kind of the point he was making with the with the utility monster right like there are scenarios in which by trying to design for everyone we make it worse for everyone um for uh questionable benefit and you know i i I also think that um i very much prefer options where um we invite people to uh help people in disadvantaged positions rather than um enforcing something that um inconveniences to a large degree everyone else for um the, the benefit of a very small number of people And I also tend to see a lot of people willingly and gladly, you know, give people space and accommodations and a hand when they, when they need it. I don't, I I think in some ways by, by forcing that on people, you, you rob people of the opportunity to show compassion to their, their fellow, fellow man, you know, um, I, I'm I'm thinking of cases where okay, like let's take the example of the of the kid born with with no arms. We don't have to create a society in which you don't that that doesn't require arms to function to accommodate that person. You, we can also just collectively agree that uh, let's not be dicks to people with no arms. Like let's help them and uh, you know make sure that we make space for them. And uh, when that doesn't happen let's be upset with people who are dicks to them. And, you know, that seems like it works pretty well in a lot of cases. So I do, I think that's a good point. I do take the point. Um, Kind of what I was 
hoping to get across with my, the point about universal universal design or rather that um you know the presence of people with disabilities is it can be an opportunity to to implement a universal design uh take for example just to continue with the person with no arms uh doors so just very quickly uh you should not have to there should be no push or pull label on any door ever you should not need to have a label to understand uh which way the door operates you should be able to just look at it and immediately intuitively understand uh and be able to operate that door and so if we rather than having doors that open one way with handles which means this guy with no arms and no hands uh can't operate it at all and needs help uh we can have doors that are automatic we can have doors that revolve we can have doors that uh have plates you know near the ground that you can touch if you're in a wheelchair or if you don't have arms and all of these options don't take away anything they don't make anything worse uh in some cases yes they may be more expensive or you know more costly to operate uh but they also give benefits to other people who weren't you know necessarily intended originally to to obtain those benefits so uh you know when we make curb cuts for people with wheelchairs and sidewalks that helps moms with strollers and kids on scooters and you know anyone anyone with a wheeled device and so that you know to bring it back to vaccines it's it's not that you're just oh we're just protecting these people who can't get the vaccine themselves it's also we are we are caring for our our common not only our common public health which i see as a value in itself uh but we are also caring for our common economic health i mean the vaccines save money like this is you know this is a pretty well established point that the more people you have vaccinated in a in a given nation uh the less healthcare costs there are associated with those with those diseases so it it's it seems like there's a network of benefits uh of co-benefits that go along with being vaccinated that think, are are not being acknowledged i think you may be underweighting the future value of not establishing the state mandating um injections or um you know invasive health procedures in general as a societal norm and i know it's just a for instance argument like it's you know it's a little artificially constructed but going back to your comment about doors that you might operate with a foot pedal or at some lower level what about blind people who as we're rolling out this new procedure, aren't going to necessarily know if this is a foot pedal operated door and have no easy way to visually ascertain that and are suddenly struggling with all of these doors that they aren't aware are operated off a foot pedal and they can't find the foot pedal. And I, I only bring that up not to um, nitpick at this particular argument, but to illustrate how easy it is to create an example of... Um, how, how easy it is to create a situation which appears to solve the problem adequately that we're looking at, and yet makes things even worse for other people that we haven't considered. And I think often, you know, the state that we've come to thus far uh, is, you know, it, it's, it's a Chesterton's fence situation, right? Like, we've, we've gotten here for some reason, 
And unless we're really, really sure that we're not messing that up somehow, we should be careful about changing things up too much. Well, so one, thank you. I think that was a very enlightening response. Uh, two, I just want to be clear. I'm not arguing for any mandatory vaccination. Was Did I make it seem like I was? Um, I think I... I think the, I think I took away from your statement that, uh, I, I think for some reason that was what I took away from your statement. And I don't recall the specific wording that caused me to think that. So if I misunderstood that, I apologize. No, that's, that's, that's fair. I guess I should clarify then to uh, basically the ar- the point of that argument was to earnestly, uh, pro offer an argument for vaccination it's it's the kind of argument that i that convinces me myself uh and it's also the kind of argument that i have made directly to to other people uh the one that comes to mind is a a friend of mine from my undergraduate days who i met you know i don't know a couple months ago and he expressed to me that he was not intending to get the vaccination for covid specifically. Uh, and so I basically, I just said to him, well, you know, I'm, I don't want to pressure you or anything, but I think I will get the vaccination. And then I gave him a few reasons why, you know, with some details and specifics and he actually changed his mind. Uh, so I'm not trying to like that that's kind of what I'm going for. I want people to want to get vaccinated. I don't want to force them, but I really think if you don't want to get vaccinated, uh there's something wrong. There's a mistake that happened. I've got to push back against that one. Yeah, uh this this marks the the two beer point of the podcast cuz now we're going to get into the, like is it actually good to get vaccinated, I suppose. Well, no, but can, can someone have a valid moral reason to not want to get vaccinated? You know, in your mind, if someone doesn't want to get vaccinated, they're just simply wrong. Something has gone wrong there. But I, I do think there's um, certainly categories of moral objection that are, are valid, even if you wouldn't necessarily agree. And actually, I believe in our, our research for this show, we discovered that uh, the term conscientious objector was invented in Britain in the 1800s when vaccines were at first mandatory, as they were mandatory in several U.S. states. And then there was a essentially a conscientious objection movement saying, hey, people should be able to opt out of this. It's not okay for the state to make them do it. And I, I have my list here of California, Utah, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and other states that had mandatory vaccination laws that were repealed, um, often on moral grounds. Perfect. That's that's exactly what I was hoping to to elicit. So tell me, what are the moral objections, not to mandatory vaccination, but to just getting vaccinated? Yeah, I'll, uh, I, let me let me get there. I want to take a very slight detour first. Let me put it this way. My dad sends me anti-vax articles constantly. And um, I mean, yeah, they're they're uniformly they fall into one of two categories. Category one is there is a seed of truth that. You know, for example, he sent me an article not too long ago that said, hey, Mexico has banned all vaccinations now because of all these kids that died. And I'm thinking, okay, there's no way that's true. And it wasn't true. There was one bad batch, some contaminated batch of vaccines that went to some village in 
you know, remote mountainous Mexico. And yeah, some, some kids died. And so they canceled the rest of that batch. Um, the other category that they fall into is some unfalsifiable statement made by a doctor who claims to know things that really go on in the industry. And, you know, obviously I can disregard those, but the point is a median intelligence parent who is doing their best to make good choices for their kids may well come to the conclusion that, Hey, I don't want this vaccine right now. And I can actually say that I was in that position with my own daughter when she was born, when the hospital wanted to give her a bunch of vaccines that I hadn't fully researched yet. And I, I wasn't willing to just throw my hands up and say, well, I trust the system. You know, obviously there's any number of things that I might not be comfortable with. Um, and I did push back on a couple of those, but a, a lot of my objections at the time personally were just, Hey, does she need this right now? Could we wait, you know, for six weeks for her to get some meat on her bones first before, before introducing something to her body. And that wasn't based on any specific evidence that I'd seen that made me think it was necessary. It just seemed like a nice, safer way to do it. Actually, what we ended up doing was following the European vaccine schedule almost exactly, which is a bit more spaced out and gradual. And uh, I don't, so, so at least on the basis of if someone didn't get vaccinated, maybe maybe they just don't want to get vaccinated right now. Maybe they want to do it on their own terms. Maybe they want to do it for any number of reasons. And I don't think we should shame parents for that, even though, <clears throat> of course, you know, most and, and probably including me really aren't capable of evaluating uh, whether a vaccine is a good idea. Oh, but but one thing, for example, is because of a lot of these anti-vax articles I'd read and, and sussed out the truth of, um, you know, I made a decision early on that, hey, my little girl isn't getting vaccinated with anything that was made in China, period. And I, I think we were able to we were able to do that. And in some cases, that meant waiting a few more months to get a vaccine from Germany um, that might have been backordered. But we did. And we worked with a, a, what do you call it, a nurse practitioner who was willing to meet us halfway there and make that happen. <clears throat> but what you got to understand about these anti-vaxxers is people absolutely treat the whole thing as uh, arguments as soldiers. There is no charity given to them. They have a lot of legitimate concerns that I, I think I want to lay out um, in a responsible and accurate way. For example, anti-vaxxers will often say things like, hey, all these studies showing that vaccines are safe and effective were paid for by the giant vaccine companies. That is a legitimate complaint. You know, I think in any other category, any of us would recognize, hey, there's that that's a red flag. I mean, it's understandable to be cautious. Now, we, you know, up on our ivory tower of the Mott, are capable of doing things like digging into it and saying, okay, I'm not specifically concerned for the following reasons, but most people can't do that. And when they try to go to others with those concerns, they are treated like lepers and pariahs because no one is willing to grant any slight iota of validity to their concerns. And so it's not a surprise when they get increasingly radicalized and increasingly detached. All right, so that, that, that's my point for that. And then uh, on the more moral issue, I don't know if anyone wants to respond to what I've already said or if I should launch into the uh, the, the cells side of things. I'll, I'll, I'll respond to that. Um, <clears throat> I had a friend when I was living in um, the Portland area who uh, did not vaccinate her, her kids. She, she chose not to. Um, and she um, was not especially educated on the risks. I mean, she was a pretty classic... Uh, what we would probably describe derisively as an as an anti-vaxxer um, in in many circles, uh, but I liked her. She was a good friend, and she had legitimate concerns. Sorry, 
her 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 feelings of concern were legitimate and she was trying to make the right decisions for her kids and repeatedly she was uh just uh terribly shamed by both uh medical professionals that she came into contact with um by uh you know uh educators by other parents and uh you know well I absolutely support vaccines and I I appreciate their effectiveness. I think the point that you just raised is valid. I think that the fact that uh you know you yourself weren't willing to have your child vaccinated by a vaccine made in China is very interesting. I'd never heard that before. I don't I don't have kids and I didn't even realize that that was something that one might want to be concerned about. And uh kind of like the throwaway comment about a bad batch of vaccines killing kids in Mexico is a little unsettling. And I'm not jumping on camp anti-vaccine here, but I'm also I tend to be very very suspicious of corporate propaganda and um uh motivated marketing statements put out by by large companies. And I think the a larger issue here is uh the erosion of trust in information in general. And how often uh, that uh, erosion of trust, in at least some cases, turns out to be um, entirely valid. And people get hurt by trusting blindly in things. So while I think that we should be promoting uh, safe vaccines and uh, we should be promoting vaccination as a tool to eliminate and reduce disease, I think it's kind of inappropriate to belittle and shame people who are expressing uh, valid fears based on things that, you know, are extreme edge cases, but people have all kinds of fears about edge cases. And I just think we should be very thoughtful about um, blindly enforcing things when, to your point, uh, lots of people who are advocating for these positions haven't actually done a lot of research on it and are just parroting talking points that are part of the, the discourse. And I'm actually a little bit irritated at how anti-vax I sound right now. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I was about that. to say, I was about to say, like, like, I understand why everyone was super worried in the pre-show chatting. I'm like, wow, I'm really going <laughs> to sound anti-vax, aren't I? <laughs> but I get completely where you guys are coming from, because you're trying basically doing what's, you're basically having sympathy for the devil. The, the normies see the anti-vaxxers as the the weak man, the ultimate weak man. They're the easy punching bag for everybody. They're the group it's okay to hate. So I do get where you guys are coming from, and I'm not getting my hackles in a... Uh, my hackles aren't going up at you guys talking kindly about anti-vax, because I, <clears throat> as I presume everyone does, has a father who sends me anti-vax articles. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad is very woke about vaccines and covid he knows what's up well my dad also doesn't believe we went to the moon so i mean there's there's kind of a cluster there but but it all does tie back into the same thing and it's what uh liminal worth worth kind of mentioned for a minute there which is or maybe it's what i said yeah it was probably me um <laughs> which is that yeah you're gonna get this um you're gonna get this feedback loop where the more someone raises concerns that seem legitimate to them and they want to be taken seriously and the less they get that back from society that treats them like morons the more they're going to question the less they're going to believe the official sources and you're going to get people like my dad who i mean what else go go down the list of crazy positions he he believes pretty much all of them 
I do want to make a point about uh, kind of how uh, public health experts uh, are trying to get their message across uh, because this is so I listen almost entirely to NPR for my news uh, sourcing besides, you know, the mod and, and that sort of online sphere. Uh, and the, I've heard now multiple stories of, of these public health experts of doctors and uh, nurses and these kind of people who, when they're interviewed about what they think about the anti-vax movement, about how they, how they kind of deal with it, what they do. Um, there's a one specific interview I'm thinking of, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll, we'll put it in the show notes, uh, once I remember, uh, with a doctor who basically said, and I agree with her, that the point is to make these people feel like they're being taken care of. I mean, it's, you know, it's exactly as you guys are saying, it's not, I would never want someone or, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to change people's minds by telling them what massive idiots they are and how, you know, they need to fucking get with the program and they need to read the studies and they need to believe in science. Like, of course that doesn't work, but it is that kind of, you know, your doctor, your nurse, your friend sitting down with you and pressing back on you. And, you know, not, not disrespecting you, not, uh, you know, talking over you, listening to you and hearing your concerns, but pressing back specifically on them and kind of giving you the information that they have. I think it's, it's difficult to accept any kind of appeal from authority as a, as a persuasive argument when, uh, again, with in kind of the low trust information environment that we're operating in lying as a means to persuade people to take action has become, and I don't know, maybe always was, but it's especially evident now that it's, it's become very much a norm. And, you know, even just like, I almost hate to bring this up, but if you even just look at the mask discourse in the, in the early days of COVID, you know, in like the first two months, we went from broadcast on national television, you know, Dr. Fauci or whomever it was at the time was saying, you know, masks don't help. Don't wear masks. Just leave your N95 masks at home. And people who were, I, I went out and bought a mask at that point. And my friends made fun of me and told me I was being a crazy conspiracy nut because obviously we shouldn't be wearing masks. It doesn't help. And it, you know, it, it's uh it takes resources away from other people and then 6 weeks later everybody was wearing masks because the messaging had flipped and i think it's very difficult for the average person to see something as blatant as that from people who are supposed to be experts and authorities and you know accept that they should take the claims of their uh their um their medical provider at at face value. And I think what changes there is if you have a good and long-standing relationship with your medical provider, if you're getting information from someone that you trust and know and you know has your best interest at heart, I think that changes the equation. And I think I agree with what you're saying about having a friend or 
you know, someone important to you sit, sit down with you. But I think it's, it's very, very difficult to know what information is good information in this day and age. Well, and especially when the explanation that was tendered after that whole thing with the masks was, oh, don't worry, we were just lying to you because at the time we felt that was what was best for you. Exactly. And the, the trouble here, the terrible thing is here is, um, isn't that how it's always worked? And technology, social media, the viral spread of information has just made it more visible. Well, and I don't want to go down this road, but I mean, that does kind of get back to this whole um, concept we've seen iterating on the mod about, uh, you know, facts being replaced, I should say dysfunctional facts being replaced by functional myths with QAnon and things like that, where, no, people don't have any idea what's going on, but this this pattern fixes in their heads and they start looking at the world through that those eyes. Yeah, and that's what really concerns me is that, uh, yeah, the message is flipping. Yeah, the... Um, Dr. Fauci ups the percentage we need for herd immunity based off how many people say they are willing to get vaccinated, and it was reported in the New York Times. Also, they can pro still be correct in doing so. And, and so, like, the, the greatest danger I see in that sort of messaging is how it turns, um, it makes the incredibly smart people who notice things, uh, become very sympathetic towards uh, harmful positions and they may accidentally signal boost them in the process. Not so much something I'm super concerned about, but that's what I can see well-meaning people being concerned about. Even the way you're framing that, though, is that the role of the state is to be mommy and daddy to the people and tell them what's best and lie to them for their own good, as opposed to, you know, carrying out the will of the people, whatever that might be. Um, and I'm sure, yeah, Kulak is seething over there right now. Yeah, I don't agree with that at all either. Well, the quick show of hands, who here thinks there should be a state? Yeah, we really are parodying our, ourselves at this point. Are vaccines good? Also, should there be a government? <laughs> yeah, <it's not> like <laughs> how... I, I mean, I, I do think there should be a, a government, and I do think the government has a role in our lives, but I, I don't think that role is... Uh, uh, absolving individual citizens of personal responsibility and making informed choices about their health and lives. And I think that's, I think that's an important distinction. <laughs> we're, we're running low on time and I was hoping to get to the next thing. Yeah. I'd, so, I'd offer my opinion on that, but I don't think you guys have eight hours. Oh God. So what's, uh, what's, what would you like to move on to on saying? Well, okay. So the, the, the fundamental question that we were trying to get around today was basically, um, you know, to what degree should people be, uh, to put it nicely, encouraged to get vaccines? And, you know, a very common position is, hey, you, your kid can't go to public school if they're not vaccinated. Now, are there good reasons for that? Sure, I see that. What about things like riding the bus um, in, in a rural area where that's realistically someone's only possible hope of ever getting a job? Um, you know, we can say, oh, it's their choice. And, and it is. But I wanted to, um, <laughs> you know, McMuster uh, said I was playing devil's advocate here, which I think is a good way to put it. So I, I guess I'll try to uh, <laughs> uh, assert infernal providence and justify the ways of anti-vaxxers to rats. Look, you got to understand the moral issues can be very opaque from the perspective of someone who doesn't see this, see things the same way. And we're not going to make this episode about abortion, but. Um, it is the case, we all agree, that a lot of common vaccines are based on cells that have been carried forward from a 
female embryo that was uh, harvested and and used for these purposes back in the 70s. And still to this day, this little, I will say this little girl's cells um, are being harvested and used for these purposes. Now, if you have no problem with abortion, or uh, at least embryonic abortion, then that's not a problem for you. But for some people, this is a really, really big deal. And so I tried to cook up a little metaphor here. Um, I tried to put myself back in the position of being in a medieval country village, for example. And, you know, we're having trouble with, uh, say, smallpox or chickenpox or whatever. And some very nice man walks up and says, and he's he's well-dressed, looks nice. We're all impressed at his outfits because we're all covered in crap. And he says, all right, look, I have this potion that will save your kids. Um, I do want to let you know up front that uh, in order to get this thing, I had to kill a child in its womb. You know, just fair warning. Now, maybe some people are upset about that. Maybe some are on the fence. But they ask for clarification. And this guy says, oh, no, 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 no. The the child isn't already dead. Actually, I still have the child in this jar here. I keep it around. I don't quite let it die. Um, I kind of keep it in this state of undeath and just periodically pick off pieces of it. And, uh, you know, put that in your potion that's going to keep your kids safe. And so as we're burning this person at the stake, I... I imagine him saying things like, oh, just be rational. Why can't you just see it my way? But uh, I don't think the discomfort with this situation is unwarranted. Now, my own stance is, you know, I'm, I'm a lot less concerned about uh, uh, embryonic things going on. I mean, for, for reasons we could get into, but we probably shouldn't. But a lot of people are not comfortable with the things going on to, with embryos. A lot of people are not comfortable with... Um, picking apart the broken body of a little girl who never got born so that their own kids can not get chicken pox, which they're not worried about in the first place. And to turn around and say, okay, well, those people are making that choice. Therefore we can cut them out of education and public transit and all that is at least debatable. I hope we can agree. Yeah. The, the, the imagery is mm, chef kiss. Yeah. It's really good. The, the, um, to just further explain just what you're talking about, he's referring to what are known as immortalized cell lines. These are things that are used throughout biomedical research as basically uh, self-sustaining cultures of human tissue. So you can get some kidney samples, you can get muscle samples, you can get um, liver samples. And sometimes, uh, through a specific mutation, you can bypass the senescent cycle that causes those cells to just wither and die as they would on a petri dish usually. Uh, essentially self-sustaining, you can graft and grow new cultures uh, and continue that on and use it for research um, and production of certain um, biochemical uh, assets as well and is used heavily in vaccine research. And production. And production too. So that's that's fair. And what I want to ask following up on that is what is the actual and you know whatever percentage proportion absolute number of people who use this as an objection to vaccines i i looked that up or i attempted to and i was not able to discover it um it it is partly a function of what we've noted which is that those perspectives are i will use the word silenced because they are um i would expect that a lot of that information if it exists anywhere is in closed annals inside of institutions uh, unfortunately, the, the the numbers just aren't there. Also, and, and this is actually something I did want to point out, is I didn't know about that until a few months ago. Um, for all the anti-vax stuff I'd seen, a lot of people just don't know that that's the case. And you can bet a doctor is not going to inform someone, hey, by the way, this is going into your body. 
um, because they don't want people to very likely get upset about that and refuse vaccinations. Yeah, it's it's hard to explain without it sounding awful. I had no idea that that was the case. Um, it doesn't change my perspective on vaccines personally, but I'm hardly the model for the average person's opinion on things. Kind of all I was sort of getting at with that question is, you know, whatever 40-something percent of Americans are against abortion in most or all cases, or think it should be illegal in most or all cases, but the actual number of people who are anti-vax is much, much, much lower. So it seems like it's a pretty niche view. Well, it raises another question, which is how many people would be against it if they knew that it was the case, and does informed consent require that? Fair point. Well, also, I suppose it also segues into like how how many people who knew that was the case would also still hang on to that view if it were, say, a tissue culture taken from the thigh of a inmate who then went on to live a uh, productive prison life afterwards. I think, I mean, I, I, how can I speak with authority here? But my intuition is that almost no one would care at that point. And you don't even have to say inmate. It could be anybody. Um, if it's taken from a living, breathing adult who went on to live a full life and that organism's potential was not curtailed, I think that uh, that makes it a complete apples to oranges comparison. Also, the, the these uh, these samples, these cell lines were not developed from infants that were aborted for the cell lines. We should make that clear. Uh, these were basically infants who were, or not infants, but fetuses that were donated after the fact for biomedical research. Yes. Which but, I know yeah. does not make it better at all for the people in question. No, no, but it, it, it was a valid, I mean, it's it's a nuance that should be brought up because that is the case. Um, if we wanted to tie that back to my horrible uh, medieval fantasy analogy, oh, I had to, the ritual requires a girl whose parents killed her because they didn't want her. You know, that no, it doesn't make it better. So I think I, I think your story is incredibly creepy and awful so good job <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I, I'm also kind of of the opinion that like okay well at this point we've got it so do you want to save your kids or not yeah that's there and, and the answer is going to vary from person to person some people will say I mean hey there are people who say we should get rid of all the stuff we learned from the Nazis or the Japanese unit that would you know perform experimentation on prisoners um, but a lot of medical modern medical science and understanding is built on what was learned from that. And that that's its own whole ethical conversation. Yeah. I believe uh, a good chunk of our current understanding of specific hypothermia and the body's response to cold was actually developed by uh, Nazis freezing people to death and studying the effects. So that I, I can see how people who would weight a fetus morally in the same level as a person would have the same level of moral revulsion towards that as a lot of people do towards that information existing within our books. So who wants to argue that vaccine production is immoral because it uses eggs that were obtained unconsensually from chickens? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I could find someone if we'd had more notice, but uh... we're going to have to go into the three beer uh, level of this conversation to get to that. I think <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, this this has put us into, I think, kind of a weird lull conversationally, which I was kind of hoping it would, because my, my intent here was, again, to 
wrap up? Get, well, my intent was to get people to where we can at least say, hey, this is a complicated topic, and maybe it isn't so simple as those people are wrong, and I should be comfortable economically disenfranchising them because you know, they happen to believe differently. Yeah, but some of us started there. Oh, sure. But I mean, you know, look, realistically, when we make this podcast, we have a certain audience in mind. And uh, I know one of my favorite things about being on this podcast is getting to address those people. I guess we usually do a um, like a summary from each person. Closing thoughts. Yeah, (laughs) I've got a I've got a can of I've got my second can of Surly Hell Lager in front of me here. Based an infernal beverage. And then I realized, like, I was shot. Like, I was shot with a diamond, a diamond bullet right through my forehead. And I thought, my God, the genius of that. The genius. The will to do that. Perfect, genuine, complete, crystalline, pure. And I realized they were stronger than we. Thank thank you, I guess. All right. Closing thoughts. Uh, liminal warmth. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Um, I think this conversation has been interesting. Uh, it, it hasn't changed my position from my initial position basically at all. But uh, I think it has highlighted for me the degree to which, again, the breakdown of uh, trust in both our various institutions, um, in our ability to communicate language effectively itself is interfering with our ability to, um, affect good public health outcomes. And that is a very serious problem. And I think we should be very thoughtful about that and pay more attention to that, um, as we move on into the future, because if we are unable to resolve that trust issue, both, um, in, one another in institutions and in, uh, you know, just basically what, what sound science and, um, good medical policy has to offer us, we're going to lose some of the, uh, very important, very beneficial things that we've built up for our society over the last however many decades and potentially centuries. And I think that's really, really unfortunate. Awesome. All right. McMuster, your uh, thoughts on wrapping up? All right. Yeah. So my closing thoughts are basically reiterating what I said at the beginning of the show is that I'm on team public health and little bits of coercion here and there through social pressure and say preventing people from getting their kids in school. Like those are still things I'm 100% on board with. And I understand that the people I'm talking with here are largely on board with stuff like that too. Uh, we kind of got into the weeds of mandatory vaccination. And yeah, I'm definitely not in favor of that, I'll, uh, even though I was able to argue for it a little bit throughout the show. Um, iterating still, like the, the, the deepest, darkest fear of my heart is the burning of credibility by the people that we are so used to listening to and who were much easier to listen to when we didn't have social media blasting their fuck-ups at us 24-7. Awesome. All right. Uh, saying, you have some closing thoughts. Yeah, I'm going to pick on McMuster here a little bit, so you're free to respond if you want. But um, look, as I see it, the term team public health is exactly the kind of rhetorically terrifying, <laughs> pleasing and terrifying thing that um, has me checking the price of ammunition while you're finishing up your statement there, McMuster. Uh, 
what this issue is in a lot of cases is the opportunity for people who feel that they know better to wield power over the outgroup justifiably. And I have seen, because I live in a small ideologically heterogeneous uh, community, I've seen what it looks like when the squeeze is being put on people. And I will say alternate lifestyles, alternate ways of living are getting squeezed out. You know, sure, public school, that's one thing, but the obvious next step is shouldn't all kids be protected? Shouldn't private schools also be forced to vaccinate? Shouldn't uh, this and that? I mean, what about playing at the playground? You know, what about... There, there's no there's no point. There is no obvious shelling fence here. Um, it's it's going to continue because we are so, probably as a species, but definitely now as a, as a society, so happy, so eager to look down on those who feel differently and to uh, to take the chance to enforce our will upon them. We are, we're all crying out for it. I feel it myself, and I hate it every, every day, but uh, I certainly see it in others, and they seem a lot less self, um, self-aware when they're doing it. So my, my plea to everybody listening is, no, don't stop getting vaccines. Go get your vaccines. Vaccinate your children. Use some uh, use some common sense. Maybe look into it a little bit. Make sure you are comfortable with what's going on. But you should be. That said, have compassion. Don't don't assume that just because someone is completely batshit insane, they're wrong deep down. <laughs> and don't assume that there isn't a valid reason for them to opt out. And please leave them space to do so. In as much as we can all do that as a society, in a way that we think is uh, optimal. I love the way that sounds. Don't don't assume someone is wrong because they're batshit insane. It, it's very true. <laughs> it's got a it's got a perfect ring to it, and and uh, everything you said there resonates with me a lot, uh, because personally, like less so like the, what I'm representing here, uh, I got a secret to tell y'all. I'm probably not gonna bother to get the Rona virus, uh, Rona vaccine. Bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'll, probably get it. I'll, I'll, I'll probably get it if it's convenient and yeah if otherwise. it's convenient enough i'll probably go for it otherwise i'm not in any hurry you goddamn zoomers you're like all right if it's drive through and free i'll get it if not can i can you. i schedule it through a text i'm a if i can download it on my phone <laughs> can i please vote by text <laughs> i would i would vote by text yeah i'd I, vote by text I mean, like, I'm probably not going to get the vaccine, but that's, like, nothing to do with health. Like, it's just as a fuck you to the state. <laughs> that's an, that's entirely believable for you, Kula. <laughs> Amazing the motivations that can lead one to not get vaccinated. What about you, University? Uh, I, I actually really like what you said there at the end on saying, I think... Uh, I also haven't really changed my fundamental view that if you don't get vaccinated, you don't get your kids vaccinated, you refuse point blank vaccines. I think you are wrong, period, whether, you know, and I know you made the point that there's moral arguments and other things, you know, that are not just directly anti-vax. Um, I think those are all wrong, too. And but, you know, those are that's episode for another day so uh you should get vaccinated unless you have a very specific medical reason not to that's that is a immoral good in my view but with that being said 
I also agree with uh, the the desire for compassion for those who are not ready to accept that uh, at this point. It's not it's not effective. It's not fun. It's not good for anyone to you know harass people or or disenfranchise them or you know do anything that causes them psychological pain unnecessarily. Uh, but in general. Yeah, you should get vaccines, and I'm definitely okay with some pressure, uh, even though, as you say, it's kind of a slippery slope, potentially. Thank you all for listening, and hopefully for our next episode, we will have our daddy back with us. Sometimes it scares me how much assumed knowledge we're all working on, like how we had basically were able to leapfrog past um, the whole nodes within an infection thing because we're all able to assume that everyone's kind of on that level already whereas most public conversation doesn't even reach that level so it can be a little bit bewildering walking into this does it not no oh god yeah do you not talk to normies in university you do